Hey everyone, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Kirk Haddon with Artspeak Creative and I am here with Steve Pike. And we are working to crack the code of the 21st century ministry. And today we have a fantastic special guest to help us do that, that uh, Steve will introduce in just a moment. But Steve, in your book, Next Wave, Discovering the 21st Century Church, you lay out 12 shifts that are needed to bring effective ministry into the 21st century. And today we're diving into shift number six, reclaim the ecosystem. So Steve, take us in. What do you mean by reclaim the ecosystem? Hey, thanks, Kirk. Uh, love the partnership we have with Artspeak Creative and appreciate you guys helping us get this message out. And yeah, boy, this is such an important uh, topic it, it, to be an effective leader in the 21st century. Um, what, I, what I believe happened, what I suggest in the book happened that in the 20th century, the, the highest value for the church became sort of keep, you know, circling the wagons and, and, and taking care of the church and, and the pastor's role in ministry was mainly to focus on, uh, you know, the people that were inside the building on Sunday morning, listening to the pastor preach. And, uh, and that sort of became, you know, you do that really well, and that's your job. And, and the world will be transformed by churches that are being faithful to God and just sort of staying inside themselves and somehow Somehow that's going to allow us to uh, impact the world. And I, in the book, I, I use the phrase isolating to sort of summarize that, that idea. Is it, it may be based a little bit in um, some, of the, some of the scriptures that talk about, you know, coming apart from them, being separate from them. And people, you know, I think the church sort of took that and said, boy, we need to protect ourselves from that evil world out there, um, and, which obviously there is evil in the world and, and there is wisdom in how we world, but, but the idea is let's, you know, we need to, uh, you know, have, have a safe space for people to follow Jesus in. And so, I mean, even some of the manifestations of that were churches that had their own like gyms or, or workout space um, that sort of competed with 24 hour fitness or something like that. And the idea was you can come here and it's a safe space. You're not going to see things or hear things that, are going to make you uncomfortable as, as a follower of Jesus. Yes, we realize there are bad, there's bad stuff out there. Satan is real. Uh, you know, evil is real. All of that's real. But uh, the church and, uh, you know, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, which indicates enough, you know, sort of an offensive position of the church, not a defensive position. And so the word that I use to suggest the, the healthy posture of the church toward the uh, ecosystem that we call it, everything around us, all the different uh, sectors and spheres of society, the education sector, the business sector, the political sector, um, the arts and entertainment sector, all these sectors that, uh, that are um, part of the, the culture in which we swim, uh, engaging that, I'm suggesting that we replace the word isolating with the word complementing. We want to complement what's out there um, in the sense that we need to be the church. We need to be who we are unashamedly. Uh, I can try to say that word, but we also uh, 
uh, need to engage and interact with people who are different than us and, and, and people who have different values and even things that, that we're uh, even opposed to. We need to understand how to interact with them effectively and healthily. And I call that complimenting. It's the, com- the, the idea of complimenting is you, I'll, be, I'll be who I am. You be who you are. And where there's places for us to inter- interact together and uh, make this world a better place and, and be part of God's uh, grace and peace in the, in the world. Let's do that together. And you can, you, that, that can apply to other, other churches, other church organizations. It can apply to all the different sectors of the world. I heard somebody say the other day, there is no sacred and secular. There's only sacred and sinful, you know, and, you know, we've kind of adopted this idea that anything outside the church is secular. And, and that's really a bad idea. Everything is sacred for uh, those of us who are following Jesus. And yeah, there's sinful stuff. And we need to address that. We need to take it on uh, head on and, and in the power and the learning of Jesus. But uh, there's so much we, we bring the sacred into the uh, public space when when we interact. And so th- that's the concept of uh, engaging, uh, of, of reclaiming the, the ecosystem. That's, that's the concept that, that I share in the book, and there's a whole chapter on that. You can read that. Um, but Kirk, I'm really excited about our guest today, Dr. Michael Carrion, um, who I feel like when I, when I've, observed his ministry from, from kind of, kind of oh, looking over his shoulder a little bit, uh, just as an observer, I, I just keep hearing and seeing fantastic stories and examples of how Michael has led the church there and, the, and in the influence that he has to really engage skillfully in, um, with the ecosystem around him. So I've invited him to help us think about this, and I'm looking forward to this. We're going to have a, a great time together today. So Michael, Welcome, mi hermano. Hermano, que lo bendiga. Well, Steve, yeah. what a, a pleasure to be with you, and uh, I love everything you just stated. Thank you, honored at the invitation, and pleasure to meet you, uh, Brother Kirk Haddon. Looking forward to engaging with you as well. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with everything that Steve stated. I think that there has been a misappropriation of the hermeneutic when it comes to be separated from the world. Doesn't mean that the world go to hell in a handbasket. Means that we are different doesn't mean that we isolate or we try to sanitize. And I think that's, and when you look at two millennia of, 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 of church antiquity, you see that there's been a lot of efforts to sanitize. Um, mm. And we, we've got to come back to what, what, what Steve's not saying is an incarnational modality that we get from Jesus himself. He steps out of glory, he puts on humanity, and he becomes Emmanuel, God with us. Not yeah. God watching us from the corner, but God with us. And uh, that sort of compliment, that not complementarianism, but that compliment of being amongst, I think is key. I've been in ministry 30 years. We've planted several churches. We've planted charter schools. We've planted nonprofits, health, health, health organizations, all on the premise of an incarnational be among them frame. Um, there's no other way to do church in a healthy way, in a biblical way, in an orthodox theological way, in my opinion. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. There, so there you go. Um, I, I should have just not even tried to say what I said. I should have just let you speak because <laughs> you're so much more eloquent. By the way, I just 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 to just to kind of help our our. Uh, I think you're 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 very well well known, but there may be some people who are on the call for the, that are meeting you for the first time. And just just a little bit about your background. Tell us about your your family. And I also I I, I heard you speak one time and. You talked about the fact that you personally are a, a bicultural individual. I mean, as soon as yes, you correct. walk into any room, it's automatically bicultural when yep. you show up because, because of your. So just talk to us a little bit about your sure. family and about your own your own journey growing up as as you. Uh, well, uh, you know, I am Afro Latino, which means I am both African American and of Hispanic origin. I am a Black Latino, a Black Puerto Rican, and so <laughs> my my one one part one parent is from the Carolinas via St. Louis. The other parent is by uh, Manati, Puerto Rico, the Campo, the north side of the island. And uh, so I embrace both cultures. I like uh, gandule and I like collard greens and pig knuckles and everything Southern uh, that comes on the menu, right? A barbecue um, and pernilla. So I am, I've always been in this sort of space where I didn't always fit in. I, I, I sound and communicate too Black for many of my Latino community. And I look too Spanish for many of my African-American community and partners. And so they didn't know what to do with me. And so seminary was me hanging out with a lot of Koreans uh, and, and just being adopted by them and you know learning how to be third culture amongst them and, and just you know taking a posture of, 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 of student within a culture that wasn't my own story of my life. I married 30 years, planted uh, several churches as I stated, um, five children, four grandchildren. Uh, I now am retired from the senior pastorate and function as the general overseer of our ministries and our charter school network. Um, I currently work as the vice president of church planting and leadership development with Redeemer City to City. Uh, I am blessed to be on the teaching team with Dr. Tim Keller, a mentor and a hero. Uh, and I sometimes support the Reformed Theological Seminary and their efforts to understand the prophets and uh, how to do urban globalized ministry in the Northeast of New York City. And, um, you know, my job is to recruit, train, develop, and coach church planters that want to plant in globalized cities, and particularly with the sensitivity toward mercy, justice, um, and, of course, lifting up the name of Jesus above every name. And so that's, that, that's me. Um, honored to be here with you all. Um, uh, recently, I just passed January. I retired after 30, minute, 30 years of ministry in the pulpit. Uh, I'm still in the pulpit, just more itinerant or more, more doing things like this, you know, lecturing or, or, or podcasting or what have you. And, uh, of course, leading the City to City New York Project and its efforts to plant 300-plus churches um, and manage the ecosystem of New York City. As you can imagine, I, 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 liked, I liked the narrative in your book because, especially Chapter 6, because... We have, a, a, we have subsystems within ecosystems. Our broader ecosystem is 400-plus churches. The subsystem within that is about 200-plus thriving, healthy missional churches that we get ongoing coaching and development. Within that, there is a subset of new emerging planters that are now realizing that the mission field or the missiology has got to evolve in a post-COVID reality. And how do they now change that language? What is the new evangelism narrative post-COVID, especially in New York, where 
almost half a million people relocated because it was an epicenter out of Manhattan. And 20% of that half a million migrated toward downtown Brooklyn, gentrification, uh, you know, space. And then what's left are the indigenous that many of our churches failed to evangelize because they couldn't get the language. Uh, most missions fail because they misinterpret or misread culture and language. If we learn the language, Steve, it's a pathway to understanding the culture and the sociological rhythms and games we need to interpret to better understand the people group. And it's unfortunate that our seminaries focus a lot of times too much on, on, on items that reduction criticism, I mean, you need it, but it's not going to be something you use in the street. Uh, you know, we're, we're focusing on, on um, conversations many times. I think we don't talk about enough economics uh, in seminary today, uh, because if you don't understand the shifting in economics, you don't understand the shifting in your mission points, critical points. And we can mission drift if we don't understand the economics within our region. For case in point, in New York City, it's so complex that if I turn the corner, not only do I have a different people group or a plethora of people groups, I have a different economic reality. Because it's a different economic reality, the missional trends shift. And we, do a, we don't do a good job at uh, identifying economics yeah. and the rhythms thereof. So all of that plays a part in how we become better missional Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And you're, you're, preaching to the choir here and um yeah I, I there's a there's a chapter in the book on funding which we've we've already covered but but you know you you've also i think as a part of your engagement with the ecosystem you know you've started um you know nonprofits. i think you've started some businesses if i'm not mistaken i mean yes. you you you've done some for-profit non-profit uh you acquired grants uh foundation money all that kind of stuff and and to be able to do that, you have to have a, uh, um, you know, a hermeneutic that 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 allows for you to engage with people who are not even Christian, uh, not even right. you know they don't they don't share belief with us, and and so that's that's what I you know I'd love us to just in fact why don't you just give some examples of how over the years you know we've we've sort of touched on a few things but. You know, before we get to the economic piece, that's a huge piece, but I just want to start with the, you know, maybe more kind of low hanging fruit in the sense of what are some sort of just obvious things that you've done to start to engage you, 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 you know, 30 years ago. No, but you were not the, the, the Bishop of the Bronx. Uh, you, you didn't have 30 years of ministry. You're, you're trying to, you're looking at this big complicated thing called New York city. You're, you're in the, the borough of, of the city that is that is often kind of seen as you know the one that's that's the ugly stepsister maybe I don't know that might not be the right way to put it but I I think the other ones kind of have a little more panache or something in people's minds and Bronx is like the boogie down Bronx you know the, yeah, tough, yeah, the yeah. tough place so you're in the toughest of the tough in a really challenging complex thing what are some things you did early on that helped you help lay a foundation that opened the doors for more engagement down the road? Absolutely. Well, the first thing we did, I mean, as an early church planter, you know, is that we did prayer walks. I know this sounds like fundamentally like, wow, really? That's it? Yeah, we did prayer walks. We went into the community and we just started praying over the community. Before we, before we started preaching and serving, we wanted to see our community. So we in the South Bronx, we would walk around 136 on Brook Avenue. That's the South Bronx. I mean, I wouldn't say it's the eight, 
the 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 stepsister, I would say it's the homeless cousin that's been rejected. Okay. <laughs> because the, the the it's the poorest congressional district in the United States. That's our okay. ministry context. We're not doing pretty ministry. So praying no. and understanding what is it that's going on in this community before we plant to church? Who are the players? Who are the indigenous fathers that have already been serving and spilling mud in this blood, you know, spilling blood in this mud and understanding yeah. and listening to them and, and, and gathering from their experience and from their toils and ministry. We were very intentional about doing that. I had a great experience at a CMA uh, grad school uh, for my, when I went for my MDiv at Alliance Theological Seminary under Dr. Louis Carlo, missiologist, and he really taught us well how to, how to filter, how to filter and understand our context. And so we mm. prayer walked. And then we started to identify the pressure points after we prayer walked. Yeah. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. So just what does prayer walking look like? Like, you know, I, I'm, I, sure. I think I know what you mean, but just kind of like, were you guys walking around, you know, praying out loud? I don't, I don't know. Tell <laughs> yeah. us how, what does that look like? So in 15, think about 15 people standing in front of this soon to be church, getting in a circle and praying for that community. Then walk slowly walking around and just looking and watching and introducing ourselves to people. Yes, we spoke to people. We didn't just pray. We walked okay. up and how are you? My name is Michael. I'll be starting a church right over there. You're welcome to come. How do you think we can serve your community? What do you uh, think are some of the challenges in your community? What do you think are some of the ways you think a new church can help in your community? And literally, as we would meet people and ask them that questions, it was a treasure box of contents mm. and, and, and lament. I have a mentor, Dr. Suchan Ra. Uh, he says, follow where the crying is, and mm. there you'll find Jesus. The minute we would start asking these questions, people would start crying, and there we found where there was a need for Jesus. We would pray for these people, and then they would remember that prayer. Later on, they would come to the church. But we did mm. that. If we saw a liquor store, we'd stand right in front of the liquor store and pray for the liquor store. If we saw a methadone clinic, which is pretty normal in my communities, where they have people that are strung out on heroin and then they try to beat one addiction by another imposed addiction called methadone, yeah. which is yeah. a system which I have no idea. Uh, really, methadone was what, you know, the, the Nazis used when they were oppressing Jews, uh, you know, in the war. I mean, a lot of people don't know that historically, but we did that to our own people in New York City and across the country by using this, this, this thing, this chemical, the synthetic. So we would go and we'd pray at the methadone clinic and we'd knock, knock on the door walk inside, meet the counselors, introduce ourselves to the directors, because these methadonians or these people that are trying to kick this heroin habit, they have families, they have children, they have lives. We, if they live in this community, we want to know them, we want to pray for them, we want to engage them. Now, if you go to a church planting assessment center, they'll tell you, stay away from people that are going to drain finances away from your project. <laughs> yeah. Right? This is common right. narrative in a, in a yeah. church plant assessment. But it's not biblical. And yeah. so we chose not to go with the common church planting cookie cutter model and decided to go biblical. That's always the better way to go, in my opinion. <laughs> so we started, to, we started to pray for these folks. Then we got on the mainline Ave, like on Third Avenue in the Bronx. And this were all the stories, the, all the stories of the square, if you will, the public square of where you can get the bus and the train. And we started to pray right there. And we started to pull some things down in the name of Jesus. And we pulled out the text that says, you know, our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of the same. And so we started to literally pray against spiritual warfare 
uh, and paganism. And Lord, he said, Lord, let us be a light in a dark place. And then we worked our way back around through the projects, met people in the projects, continued that, and then wound up back in the middle of the, in the front of the church where we closed out in prayer. We did that for about six months before we planted our church. By the time we moved in and had our, had our ribbon cutting and did our first service, the community knew who we were. We were those people that prayed for everybody on the way and around the corner. They knew our names. They knew what we looked like. So it wasn't an issue when they saw us coming in, opening up a gate, and then inviting people in uh, to service. And so prayer walking was a, is a powerful, powerful old school. And it's unfortunate we say old school, right? Um, you know, uh, God forbid prayer ever become old school, man. We are in trouble if, if prayer is no longer the main vehicle and way that we ride in our church planting efforts, man. So, yeah, that's that's what we did. Oh, then good. We started good. to focus on areas. Okay. Go ahead. Okay, let me. That's okay. This is so good. I, I want to pause because I think Kirk wants to just in, encourage folks a little bit to interact. So, Kirk, uh, take a pause and then I, I, we're going to let Michael continue. This is so good. It is so good. And if you're just joining us, we are here with Dr. Michael Carrion and Steve Pike. And we are talking about shift number six, reclaiming the ecosystem, figuring out how we interact with our communities as we go into 21st century ministry. And uh, yeah, so if you're just joining us, it's been awesome. It's only going to get better, I believe. And so uh, join us and join the conversation. Drop your questions in the chat and we'd love to get to those later in this call. But uh, let's go back into it. I want to get right back in. It's been so good. Yeah, so prayer walking. Now, now I, I have a very clear picture. Thank you for painting that picture. And I think that'll be helpful. I love it. I agree with you a thousand percent. Man, if prayer becomes old school, we're in really big trouble. So uh, yeah. that's that's good. And I, and I like following the Bible way versus the the whatever the the, the cool way or something like that. So. Yeah. All right. So so you do the prayer walking and then what's next? What's next is that, that we find out through the people that we're praying for. What are the critical mission points? Where are the areas of concern for the community? And we found out that there was this one one basketball court where there was a lot of gang activity. And we started to focus and pray in that in basketball court. We started to play basketball there. Literally, we just started as a as a team, core team, starting to ball out there with the brothers. You know what I'm saying? And we met some people. There was some tensions because they didn't know who we were. And, you know, they're not the same people that you meet in the prayer walk, but they're the ones that are really pushing the vibe in the, uh, in the community. And so we noticed that there was a lot of young children, a lot of kids that were being picked up by the police department for selling drugs, getting involved with gang crime, um, a lot of violence in this one community. And we made that our area of evangelization. We said, we're going to evangelize this area. We're going to preach in this area. We're going to give our tracks in this area. We're going to give our food and water, and we're going to support this area. And literally, uh, we knew that the culture of the community was being birthed and perpetuated from this tension point. So instead of saying, we're not going to go there because it's too dangerous, we said, we're going to go and plant there because that's where the life of the community is. Ne good or bad, negative or positive, Jesus needs to be at the center of that basketball court. Well, that, that, that space became a place where many young adults and many um, adolescents uh, lost their lives, but then also many received Jesus and their families received Jesus. And uh, our early growing uh, pains, which was very, very rapid as we started to reach out and serve families, came out of that basketball court. And they just filled the room. 
because these kids came in, they were gangbanging, they would come out of jail and they would say, you know, uh, we're here, how can we help, how can we serve? They'd have a conversion experience. Then they would in invite their grandmothers and the rest of their family members. I remember going in to preach one night Friday and I'm saying, who are all these people? Where did all these people come from? And it was just word of mouth, word of mouth, because they saw that we were intentionally going to the heart of where, where all the bad stuff was happening, uh, to preach and to bring the love of Jesus and to, and to set a mooring for the kingdom of God. So uh, eventually we wound up a couple of hundred individuals. We outgrew the space on Bergen, had to go to um, Brook Avenue, outgrew that space, had to move to another space, get our own space because we were renting from another. Another thing was this, that, that I, and this, I think this is important, when you start um, uh, really becoming incarnational, you're going to start attracting people that don't know Jesus, and they're going to come with all of their, uh, all of their selves. So I remember renting from another church, and we had people coming in. They heard the voice of God. They're responding to the voice of God. The Holy Spirit is beckoning them into the sanctuary, but they're walking in, smoking cigarettes, yeah putting cigarettes out in front of the church, you know, <laughs> there's all sorts of, so I remember we're renting from another church, pastor comes and says, hey, pastor Mike, God bless you, how are you, you know, uh, I just want to talk, you know, the, the members are complaining, there's all these cigarettes in front of the church, who, uh, who, I mean, I don't know what kind of people you got going in, and I said, brother, we're a church, and we're going to have people that don't know Jesus come into the church, and those people are going to have habits, and those people are going to have challenges, and I'm sorry that your members, but they should be rejoicing because the people are pulling out their cigarettes and putting them out before they come in. They're not smoking yeah. the cigarettes yeah. in the sanctuary. Praise <laughs> be to God for that, brother. Praise <laughs> be to God for that. <laughs> he just looked at me like, what? I'm like, yeah, so eventually we had to move out because we got too big. They were a congregation yeah. uh, that was much older, 30 people, but we got our own space. We moved out. And then that was it. Then it was an explosion, Steve, because then yeah. we started really putting on block parties that engaged engaged people from across uh, Mitchell Houses, Brook Avenue, Cypress Avenue, all these different communities because we had been prayer walking, knew us. And so, and there was a certain amount of street credibility we received. So if there was a shootout or if there was a, an issue, it was never in front of our church. And the, and, the, and, the, and the 15 years we were there, there was one incident when we first opened up the church there. A young girl was unfortunately shot and killed in front of our church. But that's mm -hmm. when we first moved in. After that, there's never been another issue. Uh, mm -hmm. And we lamented that. And even her, unfortunate, she, she was in our church the Sunday before. And uh, the entire mm -hmm. projects came into the church for the funeral. I was, you know, able to do the funeral. Many, many people came to Christ uh, through her, mm -hmm. through her loss of mm -hmm. life. And it was, mm -hmm. it, was uh, it was sad, but it was incredibly moving. And I was able to preach to gang members and say, you will not retaliate because we don't need another person dying. You're gonna, yeah. you're gonna let the authorities handle this uh, because yeah. we are not animals. We are people. We are men. We are women, and 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 yeah. this, we're in the sacred space in this. Now, the, it was a community center before we got there. Now I was able to say this is a sacred space. This is a sanctuary of the holy, and here yeah. lives God. And this is the that's word so of good. Yeah, it was, it was, it was so, pretty, pretty awesome. So, so what I'm hearing you say is that in the, before the church became uh, identified as a church, began holding services and, and identified in the community as a church, um, you guys weren't just hunkered down in a, in a room somewhere planning your first service. 
you know, coming up with your message and, and your, your music and all that stuff, you were actively, it's, it sounds like you were spending a, a lot of time actually in the community, engaging with people, asking questions, listening to people, introducing yourselves, learning the, you know, as we call exegeting the culture, uh, right. what you were doing. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm trying to use those big words that you always throw around so yeah. eloquently, you know, you're, you're <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, so the, the uh, that, that's a, that's such an important observation about um, ec- uh, uh, re- reclaiming the ecosystem is that in order to reclaim it, you've got to, you've got to recognize your place in it and be involved in it. And that led to, it sounds like a lifestyle of the church. It wasn't like you just did all this outreach stuff before the church began to hold services, but you continued, you mentioned block parties and things like that and talked about the growth. So this became part of the habit of the church of engaging with the culture, which led to some other stuff. And, um, we've, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a question. Then we've we've got a question coming up. I'm going to ask Kirk to, um, feel that or to share that question with us in just a minute, but I want you to talk for a few minutes about, you know, things like the charter school, things that required funding and even maybe funding that you required, you were able to access um, that came from sources that churches don't normally go looking for. And how did you get to that? How did that happen? Well, yeah, that's a great question. I'd love to talk about that. Um, you know, we never woke up. I never woke up one day, Steve, and said, I'm going to start a charter school network where I'm going to start you know, I just, you know, I was in seminary. I was on fire for God. We saw the Holy Spirit. I mean, the miracle signs and wonders were just all over everything we were doing. But we we still had a lament of, of young, young, young children going to juvenile detention centers. And we, would, we, we found out that in our observations that these kids were in this basketball court, like in the middle of the day when they should have been in school. Like, what are you doing here? You, you're supposed to be in school. Where's your parents? And you know, you ask these questions and you start to move backwards. Many of these kids didn't have parents. They were with grandparents that were, you know, uh, first gen immigrants new to the country, second gen still didn't learn the language. Also, you know, there's 150 languages in the community that we were serving in, 150 different languages. And not, and some people were illiterate in both their mother tongue and English, but we got to bring the gospel. That's, you have to navigate that somehow. And so, um, we had to learn the international love of, uh, language of love by serving and giving. Uh, and, we, and to God be the glory, we, we moved a lot of the people that were immigrants or we would be in that category of DACA or XYZ. But we said, what is it that would stop these young folks from going to jail and winding up in juvenile detention centers? And we said, education is the sword that would sever that line. And so we got together, we prayerfully, and once again, started praying about it. And we stated, well, let's start a charter school. Let's start a school that would engage and keep our kids off the street and in the school building so that we don't turn around and have these young children going to the detention centers. And we went for that. First time they rejected us. We partnered with a, another a big power church organization uh, that was going to fund everything. And philosophically, their, 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 edu- their philosophy of education was not New York uh, palatable or New York didn't like mm-hmm. the way they did things from another outside district in the country. So we had to contextualize our efforts, become more in line with the state regulations and then present it before the Board of Regents. And Steve, I want to tell you, you know, when they rejected us three times, 
They rejected us. The Board of Regents rejected us three times. On three different occasions, I heard the Regent, Dr. James Merriman, I'm going to say his name and blow up his spot. Because while he was um, he was difficult for me back then, 20 years ago, he's a mentor and a best friend today. Dr. James Merriman, he would always say to me, you know, Reverend, <laughs> Reverend, you're so gutsy in the Bronx, and that's great, but you're a Reverend. You will never be a chancellor. You're not. Your discipline is literature, but it's religion. I mean, he gave me all sorts of, and he would do this in public hearings, man. And I'd be like sitting there with my head down like, hey, man, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get through this. And it would just give me more unction to continue. So we resubmitted. We resubmitted on the third time. He says, Reverend, I don't know if I'm just tired of seeing your face, but obviously your community has fine-tuned and evolved your, your, your application. And uh, we are proud to uh, give you the charter for the charter school. That was the birth of the Bronx Academy of Promise Charter School and our church was Promised Land Church. So the whole promise, the whole promise, you know, thing. And so as a motif. And so we started the school and then uh, we started getting kids off the street. And then, you know, that the first three years was rough of the charter school, but we had to learn, you know, going before the Board of Regents was a first for me. I mean, you know, you grab, you do post-grad work. Your Board of Regents could be your dissertation panel, but to go before the U.S. Department of Education, that's a, that's, a, that's a task. You know, you went before 15, sometimes 20 people throwing questions at you on why you feel a certain area uh, of discipline is necessary for a context or within your curriculum. And so curriculum development, and, and I'm going to tell you, there was no manual for this. We learned it by doing it and just following, you know, our instinct and, and, and really following the spirit. So today, the Bronx Academy of Promise is now breaking ground on its second building, we have three schools in process, and our first and our first school uh, has is, is one of the top six percent in the state. Now, this is a school that's performed the Bronx Academy of Promise, outperformed the state uh, and the district in math and science. This is the poorest congressional district in the city, maybe in the United States. And the scholars that are coming out of this charter school, we don't have the bells, we don't have the whistles. We're not a major network. We were birthed out of, a, of a, a reformed charismatic movement out of a church in the South Bronx. And uh, by God's grace, man, it's, it's, it's birthing and replicating itself now. So in the next two years, we'll have another thousand children off the street. We've currently got 600 plus, 100 staff, and we're adding on to our program. We'll have an eight-story um, eight uh, building of education with a full NBA basketball court. We never had a basketball court. We've been waiting 10 years for a basketball court and an auditorium in the same building. And in, in three years, we'll have $60 million in education in the poorest congressional district of the city. Uh, and we're now impacting culture. We're, not, we're no longer studying culture. We're impacting culture from, a, from, a, from the heart of a theocentric movement, right? And so we can't proselytize. This is a board of ed school. We can't can't preach at this at the school, can't say the name of Jesus, but the culture and the ethos, right, of the school, how we live out and do the day-to-day -day operations of the school, there you find Jesus. We're preaching without saying his name, but we're living out his name uh, and, and how we uh, interact with the students. They're growing. The biggest argument in our, in our community, school community is, Reverend, when are you gonna start the high school? And I was like, no, nah, somebody younger and stronger is gonna have to start <laughs> K through. Okay. Where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is 
<laughs> yeah, this that's such an amazing story. And so just to just to help people, because you you know, it took you whatever five minutes to share that. But <laughs> from yeah, from different. start from start to finish, like when when you first had the impulse, like, wait, we need to do a charter school to today, how many years has transpired? That's that's a good that's a good fifteen years. Yeah, yeah. So my point years. in that yeah, and that my point in that is again one of the sort of the I don't know myths maybe that I think has has sort of swirled into the world of church planning is stuff always has to happen fast and and big oh. and great and you know what you just described is a long hard difficult you went through no 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 okay maybe yes okay yes and yeah. then, you know it start it didn't start with you know the you just threw out these huge numbers and and but it didn't start that way and I think that's yeah. really important for for people to be reminded of Absolutely. as you engage with the ecosystem, you're not going to have overnight success necessarily. We call that a miracle and thank God for miracles, but uh, a strategy, a miracle is not a strategy. That's and, right. Uh, yeah. That's right. So, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to let Chris, uh, Kirk uh, ask a question that's been uh, uh, thrown up by one of our um, uh, listeners today or our viewers, Kirk. Yeah, and again, if you're just joining us, uh, again, we're talking to uh, Dr. Michael Carrion and uh, Steve Pike. Of course, we're talking about uh, reclaiming the ecosystem, engaging our community, and, and uh, you're starting to submit some great questions here. And really what I'm hearing here is, is a how. Uh, someone has asked this question. I found people talk about collaboration many times, but they don't actually act. And so how, how do you call those people to action and keep them involved? So a white paper, I wrote a white paper. And the, the challenge from our board to me was, if you could dream a dream of a holistic model, right, that was fully Christ-centered, yet had, had tentacles into other areas where you couldn't find Christ, what would that look like? So intentionally, the challenge was, how do I be collaborative, right? You have to, you have to from the start, be willing to engage outside the parameters of your ministry, of your church, of your program. Um, if you if you embrace this philosophy, a great movie with Kevin Costner, it doesn't work. Build it and they will come. That doesn't work, bro. That's not gonna happen. You know, that's a movie, you know? And so <laughs> ultimately you have got to start off with the pathway to, we wanna see uh, people from the civil municipalities engaging in our church, in our school, in our situation. So how do I build a bridge to them? So getting a white paper or a strategy of who and what you want to see, right? Hopefully it's a vision from God, you know what I'm saying? And then moving toward that end by going to them and not expecting them to by osmosis come to you. The hardest part, the most prolific lesson I think that I've learned was that, you know, we have assumptions and we have to deconstruct our assumptions. And sometimes the assumptions are the stinking thinking that prohibit us from moving across the room to introduce ourselves to somebody, it's that simple. Go up to them and do the research. And even when they don't want to hear you, go up to them again and say, I'm in the community, I'm a stakeholder, I want to partner with you, how do I do this? The challenge is you have to have humility to partner and collaborate. It can't be your narrative dominant. It's got to be the consensus of those that are in the collaboration. And you build partners by having common space and common themes that bring you together 
in community. There, I love what Dr. A good friend of mine, a mentor, Dr. Alan Hirsch. There is no gravitas, there's no gravity, no impact without communitas, without community. If the entire community of your strategy is you and your core team, you've already failed. You've already failed. It's more than your core team. It's more than just your community. you got to reach out and have a plan for that reach out and then have a plan of engagement and then be being willing to compromise. Pro, this sounds so simple, but prolific and very difficult to do. And I'll tell you why. There's so much ego and logo in church planting today. People want to represent their denomination, their camp. They want to represent everything else but kingdom. And kingdom is multifaceted and diverse. We've got to we've got to embrace a kingdom, um, a kingdom mindset and paradigm for us to truly collaborate. Yeah. Hey, I I want to just ask you, Michael. Uh, this is something I actually write about in the book. Um, I my my observation has been that sometimes the idea of collaboration actually gets in the way of us working together because of what you just said. Um, good collaborations, collaboration requires compromise on both sides because you're, you're talking about whether, whether it's an, another ecclesiastical organization or a, uh, a civic, uh, uh, or, you know, political organization or business or whatever you're trying to work with. In order for two groups that have a very strong identity to, to act together um, in a collaborative way, they're both going to have to, you know, make some compromises to make that happen. And that's really compromise kind of a kind of a bad word in the church. We don't we don't believe in compromise, you know. So I, I one of the things I suggest in the book is that this word complement is a perhaps another way to conceptualize this that helps us get past some of that problem by saying, you know, we're going to be who we are. We're not going to, we're not going to back down on that. Um, and you need to be who you are, whatever you are, you know, you're there to serve your constituency, yeah. but there's some space in there. If we can find that space where we can both be true to ourselves and yet Partner. act together. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I call complimenting. What do you think about that? I think you're 100% on point, Steve. I think that it is a language issue. I said earlier that we have to learn how to evangelize the people that we ignore to evangelize in New York City and the Exodus. That's a lecture from Dr. Keller, but it's absolutely on the language. Compromise, We we when we hear the word compromise, we automatically connect it to compromising Jesus. No, mm -hmm. no, 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 no. Compromise doesn't have to be connected to Jesus. I can compromise maybe the hours that the church is open. I can say, while well, we're usually open on Sundays, Tuesdays, and Mondays for services, we can open up the church for Wednesdays and Thursdays for a food pantry that's going to feed people outside the church. Mm -hmm. Compromise doesn't mean that you interrupt Jesus. It means that you are willing to come to a place in a medium of, of, of connectivity to because community is important. And, um, and you know, yeah. I think that it's a language issue. I think you're 100% right on point. Compliment. Yeah, well, that... Yeah, yeah. And and you're right. I mean, the language, that is a big deal. And, you know, so when you said language earlier, I was thinking you're not just talking about Spanish and English or whatever. Yeah, you're not. You're talking right. about th this kind of stuff actually inhibits our ability to move forward because we we hear a word and, and we, we we just stop uh, yes, and we don't stop. explore. What yeah, does that mean to the person who's using the word? Yeah, exactly. And this is the issue. 
I believe the church universal has a language issue. We are using antiquated institutional language in a world that is changing and dying. And while the world is in ICU, we're speaking a language it doesn't understand. And us learning the world's language does not mean that we are becoming worldly. It means we're becoming multilingual. Yeah. Come on, that's the yeah. word. Multilingual in our missiology. And unless we learn the language, we will not be able to preach the gospel. Woo, there you go. Man, that is good. Hey, Kirk, any other questions from the uh, listeners, the viewers that we need to throw up here? Well, hey, I would invite you, if, you're, uh, if you've been with us, you, you know that there's been such great stuff that we've covered already, but we want to hear from you. We want you to join in this conversation. And so uh, drop those in the chat and, and uh, hope to get to those in the last 15 minutes here. But it's been such a fantastic conversation that uh, and I know there's a lot more that we can continue to pull out and explore here. I'll ask one as, uh, as someone who has planted a church. It just I wonder what you would say to someone going into that journey. Uh, what should you be thinking about? Usually we are very focused. You're planting a church. You're like, oh, this is my church. This is our vision. This is what we're doing. But uh, help us. What, what action steps can we take to kind of broaden out and look around and see our community the way that you've described and begin to do this uh, collaboration with other entities? I would find out what's the vision of the community what's already happening in the community and where does the vision of your church plan fit in within that flow, that narrative of that vibe? Um, you know, Henry Blackaby in his work experiencing God says that the Holy spirit is always moving and doing something in a social context. We often come in and interrupt what God is doing and say, this is the vision, Lord bless it. Well, what happened to the vision that God was already fulfilling his vision within that vibe, within that community context. So it's important. We, we task all of our church planters to seek first to understand, and I'm citing the late um, Stephen Covey, seek first to understand and make yourself understood. So do the recognizance and find out what's happening in a communi community before you drop your, you're going to parachute your vision into a social context that may not need your vision. You may be trying to prescribe a medicine that this body doesn't need. And instead of being a cure, you're going to bring sickness because it's going to react to that vision. We see this when we see majority culture churches planted in all African-American or all Latino communities, yet there's no connection to that community. Yet there's people coming in from outside the community to what? Worship in the community. No community ties, no community investment. No community into the local workforce. No, 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 no. You don't even invite the people to use the bathroom in the community, in the, in the bathroom, you know? And so ultimately, ultimately, there's a problem with that. You are prescribing something, a mission and a vision that's not, not good for that community. Because when you decide to get up and leave, what that community is left with is what was a hybrid of a church. Doesn't necessarily mean it was a kingdom effort. It was somebody's effort to you know, come in and do their mm -hmm. thing. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. A lot of church planting is people coming in and trying to do their thing instead of discerning yeah. the will of God and the heart of God within a missional context. That's so good. You, yeah, I, I think Kirk said it, it, that a lot of, you know, church planters are really taught to like zero in on this vision and be real focused on the vision. And, and what you just described is 
you know, God's going to give vision, yes, but you don't want to just parachute into that and ignore the social structures and things that are around you, um, because that will lead to disaster. Um, so can I, can, I, and, can I give context to that? Just 30 seconds? Please. Like, so yeah. we got, we've got pastors that established churches and communities in New York City right now. This is, this is fresh. We've got pastors that have established communities that have thrived uh, in, in, in New York City. But these specific projects have been transfer projects. They weren't local. They didn't evangelize the, lo the, the local indigenous. So now epicenter happens. COVID hits. The pastor makes a decision for him and his family. They leave. Right. That community is now without. So then what happens? Right. People in the community start to leave. Yeah. Now you've got 20, 30 percent left. What do they do? They're the, they're the faithful that close out the project. Now, as they close out the project, what do they, what do they have? What's the taste in their mouth? I'm never going to do this church thing again. Look what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Michael. And that's not just a problem in New York city. I can, I, I live in downtown Denver, Colorado, which is, you know, compared to New York city, it's a village, but, uh, but it's, you know, we, we have, we have almost a million people living inside the city here. And, and what we see is the same thing. Churches coming in from the outside. And even before COVID, we saw people coming in, trying to start stuff using methodologies that required a certain ROI in terms of, yeah. you know, how much money's coming in the offering. And it doesn't happen and they give up and leave. And I'm sitting here watching and hearing my neighbors talk about that. It's just not a good thing. So yeah, you got to go into these places with a commitment to a long haul. And man alive, there's so much we could talk about in that regard. Kirk, I saw another question pop up, and we've only got about 10 minutes left here or less, and uh, I want to make sure we give time for that. And I've got one other question if we have time for. I, wa I want Michael to address. We, we, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down that path, Michael, just a little bit because I'd love for you to you know, share that. But before, let's see what the question is, and then, and then we'll, we'll see if we have time for that, okay? Yeah, so uh, I think people are looking at this and trying to figure out how do, how do I do this? So we've got an, a question here. Can you give some examples of groups that you've partnered with that some might not see first as a potential partner? Well, absolutely. The U.S. Department of Corrections. Most <laughs> churches don't want to partner with the Department of Corrections. But we have such a strong connection with the Department of Corrections that when somebody's released from the county jail, they send them to Promised Land Covenant Church. And it's there that we help them integrate or reintegrate back into society, hopefully without them recidivating and going back into jail for infracting. Now, why would the DOC partner with the church? Because all the other efforts of social reform or DOC reform through case management has failed. And people that get into a church community have resources at their, at their fingertips are, are surrounded by a full wraparound case management, meaning that there's a community of accountability that helps them not recidivate and go back to people, places, and things. But no seminary is going to tell you, go partner with the local county jail and have all the inmates come into your church. Because people say, wait, 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 my church has got to be a safe place. <coughs> and it should be a safe place. And it can be a safe place with people that are coming back into society who have served their time and we can't talk and preach about a God of resurrection of a second and third and fourth and fifth chance. He's married to the backslider, though a righteous man falls seven times. He's not utterly cast down and not make space for our returning citizens. So DOC, perfect example. Most churches don't want to partner with them. They're one of our biggest partners. Once again, the U.S. Department of Education. 
churches are usually fighting with schools. No, you want to put that sign that makes my kid genderless and I'm not going to have anything to do with that? <clears throat> Join the PTA. Be a voice. Be incarnational. <clears throat> You'd be shocked to see how some of our PTA workers have gotten us into a school so we can bring in four and 500 book bags to people who wouldn't even come to a church. But because when they get the book bag, they get the name of the church in the book bag, they didn't even leave, they didn't even leave the house to come to the church. The church went to the school, blessed their kid. Now the kid comes home with the book bag, parent opens the book bag, church name. These people came and gave this to you? Are you serious? Let's visit them. Most churches are arguing with schools instead of adopting them. Another one, uh, several municipalities. <clears throat> you got to be careful with politicians. I do not give politicians the pulpit. I don't. It's something I don't believe in. Uh, they, these people say, I mean, I'm not going to make any derogatory comments. I'm very careful with the pulpit with that. However, there are times when they have uh, what's called dis uh, discretionary grants, and they're looking for good entities to bestow these grants upon. It's monies that can be used for community development. It's monies that will fund a black party. Who's your local state's person, council person? Good partners, because sometimes they have money they can just give to a church. <clears throat> Can't proselytize, but you can feed your community. So partner with us. We had 500 boxes of food given to us by the government, right? I couldn't, I couldn't say, gee, they know we're a church. I couldn't say Jesus. I set up the 500 boxes in front of my church. As people who need the food come into, come into the, my community, the box says government, the building says we love Jesus. So they know where they're getting their resource from, but that is an uncommon partner. And so learning how to <coughs> partner with entities within your community and context is a must because it resources, because let's be honest, churches don't, most churches don't have budgets or line items to fund some of this stuff. We feed about 3,000 people a month at the Promised Land. I've never had a budget. We've never had a budget for that, right? We've never had a budget. It's the poor, feeding the poor, feeding the poor, and then other resources that see that we're trying to serve our community bestow upon us, and we engage, and we, and we receive it, and we're not compromising our holiness, our righteousness, or Jesus, we're just collaborating. That's good. That's good. Well, we've got about five minutes left, and I know Kirk <laughs> is going to. He needs a, a minute or two to wrap things up. Um, I don't know if you can do it in three minutes or less, Michael. There's no way you can talk about that topic. <laughs> yeah. and, and you know that. <laughs> yeah. So okay. So we're not we're not going to open that that up. I, I, I might want to. Here's what I want to do is invite you to be a guest on the next wave community, Absolutely. which is a, a, a yeah. And, and I'd love to talk with you. We can, we can make that the subject because I think it's Absolutely. such an important subject. Um, and um, in fact, I'll just go ahead and say, we'll, we'll find a date sometime in the future that works for both of us to have you on to talk about that. And next wave community is our online community for people who God is calling to the hard places. And we, we, we have a live ongoing conversation peer learning conversation with people who are going to the hard places all across the spectrum, all denominations, all, and just, just to learn together. And Michael, we'd love for you to come talk about the, the issue is um, uh, the, the, uh, what is, what is um, uh, called CRT, um, which I just, I just lost what those words mean, uh, those letters stand for. Um, Critical race theory. 
Yeah, critical race theory, right? Sorry, uh, and um, man, it is it, it is something that every church and every leader is having to think about. And um, we're not going to. So I'm just teasing people. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have you on the next wave uh, platform to talk about that. And Kurt's going to tell us about that. But before he he shares that, I just want to thank you for being with us today. This has been super rich, super powerful. Um, any last last word to this uh, group of folks that are listening to you today? Yeah, please buy Steve Pike's book. You need it. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, I did not ask you to say that, did I? Come no, on. you did it. You asked for my last Thank word. You. Okay. <laughs> and we're going to put a bunch of links in, in the, the notes that go with this that, that will help you get benefit from everything that Michael Carrion, Dr. Michael Carrion is involved in. Um, I he's a great friend. He's a, he's a, he's a mentor to me, whether he knows it or not. I've learned so much from him. Appreciate his attitude and his spirit. And I just encourage you to, to dive deep into whatever Michael's into. It's going to be good. So Kirk, take us out. Absolutely. Well, thank you. And Dr. Michael Carrion, thank you so much for being with us today. And, and Steve Pike, as always, for taking us through the, the content of the book that you've written that I think, uh, is becoming foundational. And we, we are uh, so excited at ArtSpeak that we got to be just a small part of what you're doing here with Next Wave with the book, which you can uh, you can pick up the book at nextwave.community or you can grab that on Amazon. But also uh, there'll be a link in the chat here where you can go download this chapter, chapter six, uh, shift six about reclaiming the ecosystem. You can download that chapter for free. You can also get a free month in the community, the Next Wave community, which as Steve described is is a fantastic opportunity to hear more from uh, Steve Pike and Dr. Michael Carrion in the future and others like him that are doing fantastic things in the world with great things to share for those of us who are working to uh, plant churches and spread the gospel in difficult places. Um, which, uh, I mean, caveat, uh, probably every place is becoming a difficult place to uh, to plant a church and to, to spread the gospel. So please take advantage of those resources. And thank you so much again for being here as we crack the code of 21st century ministry. And we'll see you again on the next show.